0: Um, okay, I'm glad you're here. We're actually, uh, we're standing at Mount Sinai. Um, we just started the month of Sivan, which is, uh, which is a huge deal. And it says right in the Torah itself, it says right in the, the first day of the month of Sivan, the Jewish people arrived at Mount Sinai. So we're all at Mount Sinai right now. And that same, uh, in that same set of Sukum, it's in Parshas Yisro. Uh, chapter 19 in the book of uh, Shmos, Exodus, if you want to look it up. It also says that we encamped at the mountain. And so that's a big deal. The reason because, uh, is because it's talking in the plural up until now. And then it says we encamped at the mountain, and all of a sudden it shifts into the singular. So there's a very, very famous you know, understanding of why all of a sudden the, it goes from the plural to the singular. And it says that, that we encamped like one person with one heart. In other words, the, the level of unity that existed at Mount Sinai was unprecedented. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it seems to have been not just a coincidence that we merged as one, one soul and one being um, in, in harmony before we received the Torah. Like, why is it that that happened right before we received the Torah? Is that just a historical coincidence And this is me talking right now. I'm sure other people say the same thing. But anyway, um, it seems to me that, no, that was actually, that level of unity was actually a necessary precondition to receiving the Torah. Um, You know, there's something interesting. The word uh, Kli means vessel, like something that holds something. The word Kli in in, in Hebrew is spelled Chaf lamid Yud, which stands for Kohen Levi Yisrael which are the three branches, the three divisions of the Jewish people. So when they're all together, they form a kli, they form a vessel in order to hold something. So here you see we became this vessel in order to hold the Torah, to receive the light of the Torah. Now I'd like to liken this unto something else, which is a marriage. Because the the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai is famously compared to a marriage uh, ceremony. Uh, God and the Jewish people heaven and earth all of these things combining and um, you want just as an aside it's just you know this is one of these sort of graphic uh, descriptions that the rabbis give that um, when you hear it you can't forget it so I'll just throw it in it's kind of as an aside right now but just uh, when we when we did the the Chetah Egel translated as the sin of the golden calf you know where we Strayed, basically. The rabbis compare it. You want to hear, like I say, some graphic imagery right now? They said it was like committing adultery under the chuppah. Can you imagine you have married a woman? You're standing under the marriage canopy and you have relations with another woman under the marriage canopy? I mean, that's pretty quick, right? That's, but, you know, the rabbis were not shy. They were not shy to express themselves. You know, so because that happened just 40 days after the giving of the Torah. Okay, so what happened and all the rest? That's a whole that's a whole subject in itself. I gave a talk on it. If you ever want to hear it, it's called um, "Fixing the Sin of the Golden Cap." I'll try to put that on the website. Um, but anyway. Um, the, the, the sort of the happier point, and, and maybe the more meaningful point, is that the actual giving of the Torah itself was compared to this marriage with the above and the below. And, um, and you know, just going with this thought that, that the unity of the Jewish people was a precondition, a necessary precondition, that we become like a vessel, a, a unified entity in order to receive the Torah, that that had to happen before the giving of the Torah. I heard another teaching from Reb Shlomo that I'd like to connect to that thought, which is that, which is that the joy that the guests at a wedding have is very important to the wedding ceremony itself. Now, again, the sort of conventional understanding, people who don't have a deeper uh, uh, knowledge of the spiritual dynamics of what's going on, Think that well. You attend a wedding, and because it's a happy occasion, therefore you're happy. There's a logic to that, certainly, but it, there's more to it than that. Because actually, it's a mitzvah to make the, the the bride happy, and you know it's appropriate to say that the bride is beautiful and all the rest, and and all the rest, and and and, and to you know to make the the, the groom happy as well. It's supposed to make them happy. That's an important thing. Now, Reb Shlomo said the following, which is that the joy is an actual precondition for the marriage to be able to really click into effect. Because basically, when there's simcha, there's like this. It just it lifts up the couple to a higher level where they can where they can become one. You know, I, I always Reb Shlomo didn't express it in these terms, but I'm just sharing you with you my understanding of it. It's almost like if you if you think of like not that I know anything about quantum physics, but the, the most elementary level of it is there, There's energy states basically, and and things jump states. So so you, you you're holding at one energy level, and then if it hits a certain you know frequency or whatever the proper term is, it jumps a whole level, right? So so the idea is that the joy that everyone is experiencing at a wedding and at a chuppah, that that jumps everything up to another state where the bride and groom can be become one, where they can achieve their oneness. So again, again, this whole idea of, of unity or joy being a precondition in order to receive something higher. So, so you know... You know that when you're in a good mood things bother you less. And so this is because simcha simcha breeds unity. Because it brings expansiveness to your consciousness. So when you've got a wider more complete view of the entire world, little things don't bother you as much because you see the whole world. It's like, you know, there are there are people who, if you, if one thing is going wrong, that's all they can see. They can just see that one mistake. But these people are not in a state of expanded consciousness. And they're usually not in a state of simcha, of happiness at all. And so they get tunnel vision, and they just concentrate on, on the flaws, on the errors. Okay. So, so we, we've entered into a new book in the Torah which is Parsha's uh Sefer Bamidbar, uh translated as the book of numbers, but it's it's in, it's interesting. It's it's you know, all the English translations of the books of the Torah and the and the actual words themselves, the real words, the Hebrew words, are very, very different. Bamidbar means the desert. Numbers? Where are you getting numbers from? You know? So so I don't know. Well We'll leave that. We'll leave that for someone else. But let's let's concentrate on the Hebrew right now, because that's God talking. So, so, so we're in the desert. We're in the desert, and uh, we received the Torah in the desert. And there's a lot of Torah on that. Why did we receive the Torah in the desert? And the rabbis say, even you have to make yourself like a desert to receive the Torah. And um, the Torah is compared to water. So, you know, it's one thing to get a drink of water when you're sitting at a restaurant. It's another thing to get a drink of water when you're in the desert. You know, I heard Reb Shlomo say one time, about the Torah, what one's attitude has to be about the Torah is, you have to need it to live. In other words, if someone thinks of it as just another subject or something that will improve my life, hey, you know something, this is going to improve my life. Then that person, they're not mistaken, but they already have no idea what the Torah is. It's like, It's like one of the things I always go back to in my mind, what people's attitude about God is. People think, okay, there's cement and there's football and there's band-aids and there's God and there's, you know, fajitas, right? That God is somehow one thing on a list of things that there are in the world. That's... Everything is contained within God. God fills the entire universe. All there is is God. God then God creates various things. But if you think that God is somehow one thing on a list of things that are, then you've got no concept of who you are or what this world is or what's going on. You're completely blind to what's going on. So the same thing with the Torah. Because the Torah is what God made the world out of. The Torah is God's will. It's it's an expression of God's will. So of godliness itself. So that's why when Rip Shlomo says, a person has to need it to live. Understand that this is my lifeline. This is my, this is my honest, true connection to reality. So, so I, I want to just maybe expand on this a little bit. I was talking with someone recently who's a knowledgeable person. And that's why I'm bringing this up. Because I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm a little bit shocked that this conversation took place at all. And I figure, listen, if it's true for him, maybe it's true for many other people. So, which this is why I'm bringing it up. He said to me, um, I said, well, you know, the, the sin of the golden calf, that happened 40 days after the giving of the Torah. So, this is not an opinion. This is, this is Jewish history. This is everywhere. This is in every book. This is not subject to, well, maybe some people say it was 40 days, other people say it was something else. No. Everyone says it was 40 days. This is undisputed. Okay he said I thought it happened the same day that the Torah came down from Mount Sinai we got the Torah Moshe came down from Mount Sinai and he saw that we're worshipping the golden calf and he smashed the luchos the tablets He thought that it happened all the same day I was like no 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 that's, that's not the case and he said are you sure And I said, "Um, yeah, I'm really sure. And I, you know, I mean, I picked up the first available book that was in front of me and I I showed him right in that book that it's not the case. And he was like, but I'm confused. I don't understand. And then I realized afterwards, because I was thinking about it a lot, I, I realized how he made this mistake. How he made this mistake. And the reason is because he thought, well, wait a second. What is the Torah? The Torah is those tablets, the Ten Commandments. And I said, no, no. No, that's not the Torah. Just like some people think the the scroll inside the Ark is the Torah. Or some people think that the book that contains the information that's in the scroll in the ark is the Torah. That's what people think. And by the way, on a certain level, that's accurate because the scroll in the ark is called the Torah. The book on the shelf that contains what's in the ark is also called the Chumash or the Torah. So, it's not completely far off, but there's a giant gap. There's a giant gap there. I said, no. When Hashem spoke at Mount Sinai, that was the giving of the Torah. That's the giving of the Torah. What was written on the tablets is just a representation, just a recording of what God had said. But the key moment was when God spoke. That's the giving of the Torah. Everything else is just a representation of what God said. Now, why is that significant? Because it's very, very significant. Because we believe that the entire world is made out of the Torah. And not only that, but that the Torah existed, get this, it says it in the Gomorrah, 974 generations before the world was created. The Torah existed. So if you're thinking of the, of the Torah as a book, or as a scroll, or as a, the tablets that got smashed, then what, what do the rabbis mean when they say it was given 974 generations, or it existed 974 generations before the world was created? So you have to understand that what is the Torah? The Torah is the will and the desire of God. His dreams for this world, which existed before the world was created. Because before you make something, you have in your mind what you want to make. Right? First you have the idea, you have the desire, then you bring it into reality. God's desire for this world is the Torah. His dreams for this world is the Torah. That's why the Torah absolutely saturates every aspect of existence. Because God made the world out of his desire for the world. Okay. So let's go deeper into this, okay? Let me show you an illustration of this. You see, the word Sinai, as in, or in English, Sinai, which is the location where the Torah was given, Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, is a description. It's like a pictogram. This was my thought. This is a, it's a pictogram of, of, of the giving of the Torah itself. And I've shared this thought with you before, but I never said what I'm about to say. So let me just catch you up on the very basics of it. Sinai is spelled in the following way. It's Samich, which is a circle, Yud. Nun, Yud, okay? So, samich is, first of all, on a more poetic level, it's like a wedding ring, right? Because at Mount Sinai, we said, God and the Jewish people, heaven and earth refused, right? Okay, so that's, that's all good. On an even more trenchant level, here and now level, not a poetic level, the Jews encamped around Mount Sinai. So physically, we were actually all around Mount Sinai, and we dwelled there. You should know for a year. We were there for one solid year before we left. Okay, so so it was only when we first arrived there it was only a few days till the Torah was actually given. But then we stayed there for a year before we started to head to Israel, and that's when the whole. Uh, incident with the spies, the Meraglim, happened, and then it, you know, delayed us another 40 years before we got to Israel. But anyway, so the, the samich is a circle. We were camped around Mount Sinai. The Yud, there are two Yuds. Well, two Yuds is a spelling of the name of Hashem. Right? Because God appeared to us there. And then the Nun Listen to this. So deep, so amazing. Everybody knows Nun is the number 50, and everybody knows that the giving of the Torah was 50 days after we left Egypt. Not only that, but on the cosmic map, there's something called the Shar Chamishim, which means the 50th gate, which means the number 50 stands for the top of heaven. And we know that Hashem spoke from so to speak the shar chamishim right so the torah came from this level of the letter nun okay everyone got it so we the Samech, we encamped around mount sinai that was the wedding ceremony yud and yud hashem spoke from the shar chamishim the letter nun on the 50th day it's an exact description of the giving of the torah amazing right but i want to say something more I want to say something on the two-letter two yuds. And that's really why I'm bringing this up. Now listen to this. On the one level, one yud stands for yud, everyone knows it's ten, stands for the Ten Commandments. Right? And everybody knows that the Ten Commandments contain the entire Torah. And in fact, on the first luchos, the first luchos were these incredible, the first tablets were these incredible miracle So is this miraculous substance. There are many miracles associated with them. Um, First of all, it it says something interesting. It says that when Moshe went down to check out the whole incident of the golden calf, right? It says he grabbed the luchos and then went down. So does the rabbis comment on that? They say something very interesting. He grabbed the luchos? Where did he grab them from? And they say... Oh, well, they were floating. And it's like, oh, whoa. Okay. <laughs> the luchos were floating, and that's where he grabbed them to take them down. Okay, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, anyway, there are many, many miracles surrounding the luchos. Um, one of them is that the entire Torah, not just the Ten Commandments, the entire Torah was written on them. Not only that, but that's the written law. But we also have something called the Torah Shabal Pan, the Oral Law. The entire Oral Law was also written on the Lukos. And so, amazing, amazing, amazing things. Okay, anyway. So the Yud stands for the Ten Commandments. But we've got another Yud. What does that stand for? So, I want to say the following. And this will give us a deeper understanding of what the Torah is and what the giving of the Torah is as well. The other yud stands for the ten utterances that God created the world with. And there's a parallel between the ten utterances that Hashem created the world with and the ten commandments. Okay? So now let's try to work through the connection. And people will correlate one for one and all the rest, and I'm not going to do that right now. Um... One day, hopefully, I'll learn all the correlations and then I'll be able to share it. So. Uh, but for now, we'll say something else, which is another correlation. Which is, you see, in order to explain this, I, I, I've got to tell you one of my favorite stories. So so, so when I i had been learning Torah for a few years and uh, I attended a, a program in Israel called Israelite. I wasn't able to do the whole program, but just part of it. And it's an introduction to Torah, and it's a wonderful program if you have a chance to check it out. In fact, I know they've got some fantastic summer programs. I highly, 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 highly recommend them. And it's spelled Israelite. I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com or org. Israelite. I know because if you go to Israelite, It's a Christian website. (laughs) So, so is Ra light, okay? Um, Anyway, highly, highly recommend it. Rabbi Aaron and many Rabbi Friedman, wonderful teachers. And it's, you know, they've got like organic, vegetarian, yoga trips. Uh, It's all the, it's really like a very luxe, wonderful... uh, Anyway, this was many years ago, and I was at the the, the first class, the first day in the old city of Jerusalem, and Rabbi Aaron was standing in front of the the blackboard, and uh, like I said, for a lot of people, this was their first introduction to formal Torah learning, you know, in a very wonderful environment, but I knew a little bit before this, so um, he starts off, what's the Torah? So people raise their hand. He goes, go ahead. And and someone says, a book of laws. He says, very good. He writes down on the blackboard, book of laws. Then he says, who else? Someone raises their hand. He says, go ahead. He says, book of history. He goes, very good. He writes down, book of history. Then I raise my hand. He says, go ahead. I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, all right, let's hold off on that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but that's that's what that's what the Torah is. The Torah is the infinite compressed into the finite. Like we said, the Torah existed before the world was created. It was Hashem's desire for the world. I even heard it said like this, that the whole world, that means that the whole world is shaped in order to correspond to the mitzvahs of the Torah. To the extent that it's even said that the reason why we have an arm is in order to put tefillin on. In other words, physical reality was created to conform to the mitzvahs of the Torah. Does everyone hear? That's how primary it is. This is the idea that the Torah was created before the world was created. Okay? So, with this in mind, with this in mind, now you'll hear something very, very deep. What does it mean that there's a parallel between the ten utterances of creation and the ten commandments which contain the entire Torah? Because God created with the ten utterances the physical reality which were tailor-made to correspond to the Torah that was going to be given. And another way of seeing this is something called Tzimtzum, which means that, you see, one of the ways that God created the world is He took His infinite light, what we call the Or Ein Sof, light without end, right? because before the world existed, before there was a physical world, it was just Hashem. God took His divine light, and he condensed it and condensed it and condensed it and it became more and more solid until something physical existed. The way I always like to, to compare that is if you think of like, um, I'll go in the reverse way right now, from the solid to the ethereal, if you will. If you think of ice, ice, the molecule is H2O. Then as it becomes looser, ice becomes water. But it's the same molecule, H2O. Then as you boil the water, it becomes vapor. You can't even see it. But the molecule is H2O. So now reverse that process in your mind and you'll get a sense of what Simpson is. It's like that vapor, that divine light coming stronger together, stronger together until it's actually something solid. So this world... See, people think, oh, I'm not spiritual. Dude... Your condensed spirituality. <laughs> that's all there is. That's, that's all you are. You know what I mean? No, you're spiritual. I'm not spiritual. Okay, well, we got to sit down and talk then. Because you don't know what's going on. You know? So that's why when we say there's no such thing as a secular moment, right? What is. There is no such thing as a secular moment because the only thing going on in the world 24-7 is God. And and what I love about that is that is not a religious thought. That's just what it is. Understand? Uh, you don't have to say, oh, okay, well, you're very religious, David, aren't you? No! <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what religious means, honestly. I don't even know what religious means. If this isn't real, I'm not doing it. You know, my rabbi in Israel says, you know what, if God said, you know what, you know what you have to do? Here's what God says. You have to go bowling all day. He says, you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be bowling all day. Because if those are the marching orders, that's what I'm doing. And if it's not coming from God, then I'm not doing any of it. I'm not doing it because, oh, and it feels good, and I I like it, and... It can also feel good. You see, the enemies of religion, they say something very insidious, very tricky. They say, why are you doing this? Is it just to make you feel good? Right? Well, I'm doing it because it's true. And if it's true, it should make me feel good. There's no contradiction. Oh, you're you're looking to have some kind of support in your life? Well, I'm doing it because it's true. If it also makes me feel good and gives me some support in my life, then that's a good thing, isn't it? Well, where's the problem with that? In other words, there's no contradiction between the two. So let's get back to this Deeper understanding of the two Yuds within the word Sinai, Sinai in Hebrew. So now we're saying these two Yuds, one of them stands for the Ten Commandments, which, as we said, contain the entire Torah, and one of them are the ten utterances of creation that brought the world into effect. So what we see now is, we see the world coming into effect for the sake of the Ten Commandments, which will be the way to perform the will of God. But the world coming to effect is creating a stage for the observance of the Torah. Like we said, the, the arm exists in order to put tefillin on it. So these are the ten utterances of creation. The setting of a world where the Torah, the Ten Commandments, can be kept. And that's Simpsum. That's a progressive, further condensation. First you need the world. That's God's light condensing till you have a world. And then it condenses further where the will of God actually comes down in letter form. Where you can actually read it in a book. So, and then comes us because every single jewish person is compared to a letter in the torah so you have the actual creation of us and we're all letters so that's a further synonym right cuz the light the light of god goes into each one of us that's called our soul so it gets condensed down right so now we all have a little piece so we become a little piece we become a letter what is it so many Simsa means to contract, or to, I'm saying to condense. So the utterance is worthy, kind of condensing? Kind of yeah, so God is speaking the world into existence, and that's His light being constricted further, going from a spiritual state into a physical state. Right? And that's a, that's a progression. It goes slowly, slowly, slowly through all the worlds. That's why we say we have many spiritual worlds. Well, each one each one as it gets lower, or toward the actual physical thing we call Earth, or this universe, whatever it is, each world, spiritual world, becomes a little bit more dense until you have something that we actually call Kabbalistically, Olamasiyah, which becomes the setting that we're in right now. Which, interestingly, means the world of action. Because God created this world for us to do something, and you know the word "mazel." Mazel. I say this in the name of my father-in-law, Allah Shalom. Shalom Yehushua Ben Rav Moshe said, "Mazel is an acrostic. It's translated as luck, but it's more than that. The mem." Avmazel stands for Makom, which means place. The Zion stands for time. So you have to be Zman. So you have to be at the right place at the right time. But then there's the Lamed, which stands for Lassos, which is means you have to do something. It's not enough to be at the right place at the right time. you got to be at the right place and the right time and actually do something. And that's this world. The world of action. It's not just enough that we're here. We have to actually do something. Right? And those are the Torah Mitzvahs. Okay? Now, I want to go further. I want to go further. That's got to be reviewed, by the way. I would recommend that anyone who would like to actually keep that, listen to that about Five or ten times. <laughs> that whole description of the Yud and the Yud. Because that's... You should have that in your pocket. If you have that in your pocket, you're rocking. You know? You know, because that's basically the whole structure of the universe. Right there. I mean, without trying to overstate it. That's like really critical that you should actually know that. Not just having heard that. Um, anyway. so um, So, anyway. Let's keep on going. I want to just uh, share with you some, some, some cool stuff, I think, about the march through the desert. Because, like we say, we're in Bamidbar right now, and this is our whole trek through the desert. Okay, And I want to talk about um, the, the, the arrangement of the tribes right now. And uh, focus on a particular point, but let me give you some, just a, a grab bag of information, and then I want to focus in on two particular points, which, which I think are, are very, very striking. Okay. Everybody should know that there are basically, there are 12 tribes, but, but there's sort of like this X factor, because the tribe of Yosef becomes and Ephraim, and then sometimes Levi is mentioned, and sometimes Levi isn't mentioned okay so so I saw that the Ishvotzer Rebbe pointed out something that shocked me actually when I read it which is that every time the tribes are mentioned they're mentioned in a different order and that's that's very very striking in fact you know something it reminds me of the following story I heard this from Rab Shlomo uh, the Ruminov Rebbe uh one Motzei Shabbos, after Shabbos had gone out, all of a sudden he looks out the window, he sees like there's a whole wagon load of Hasidim that had come. And uh, it was sort of a surprise to him. And he goes outside and he wants to know what's going on. And they said, we've just come from the Chos of Lublin, right? The great Hasidic master. And he, they told uh, the Rimenover... That the Chose of Lublin, who was like the dean of the Rebbies at that point, told us that anyone who doesn't come to see you, the Rimenover Rebbe, during their lifetime, will have to give an account in heaven why they, why they didn't come to see you. So we all came. So listen to this. This breaks my heart, this story. So the Rimenover Rebbe said, when did, the, when did the Chose say this? They said, uh, during Shabbos. And he thought, and he said, who knows if it's still true. So, my understanding of this story is that people, spiritually speaking, they go up and down. That's the nature of what it means to be a human being. You go up and you go down. And hopefully you go back up again. You know? That's just the reality. The Rimenover Rebbe did not do any kind of mistake between the time that the Chose of Lublin said that everyone should go and see him and the time that they came. He didn't decide to do something wrong. He didn't. But he was so honest and so humble and so in tune with his own spirituality That he said, you know something, it must have been that when the Chosa said that thing, I must have been holding at a very high level. But who knows, even though it's several hours later, who knows if I'm still holding at that level. Right? Very humbling. Heartbreaking, almost. Just a true story. So anyway, the tribes are always mentioned in different orders. They're always mentioned in different orders. In general, in Torah, you, according to how you're listed, is who's the most prominent? Okay, so anyway. Um, one of the main orders is the birth order. And that's the author, order that's listed on the, that's engraved in the stones of the coin guddle on the breastplate. That's the birth order, starting with Reuven, right? And going down from there. But there's another order, and this is the order that I want to concentrate on right now. This is the order of how they were arranged in the desert when they marched through the desert. And this order is actually based on the months of the year. Okay? Now, for instance, the first month of the year is Nisan. Nisan correlates with the tribe of Yehuda. There are 12 months, 12 tribes. Each month is a different tribe. And if you ever wondered what's the logic of what tribe got assigned to what month, it's because this is the order of how they marched through the desert. So you see, this is a different order from the, from the birth order, from what's described, what's inscribed, engraved on the breastplate of the coin guttal. Now, you have to concentrate in order to get this. Okay? But this is a very intense point. You see, the march through the desert is a microcosm for human history. Okay, it starts, we start in Egypt, and we end up in Israel. Egypt represents exile, and Israel represents redemption. So it's the march through the desert is the march from exile to redemption, to Mashiach. Okay, not only that, but the Rebbe say that just like we stopped 42 times during our travels through the desert over the course of 40 years, each one of us in our own personal lives has 42 stops also. Because that experience in the desert, getting to Israel, is also each of our personal lives. Now what does that mean, 42 stops? So that could be geographical locations, where different places we've lived. It can mean relationships that we've had. It could mean jobs that we've had. It could mean spiritual levels. That we've attained or unattained, and then hopefully reattained. All right? All those things correlate with the 42 stops, and we all have that. Okay. So here you see something very interesting. We said that the tribes, the way the tribes are arranged through their march through the desert, corresponds to the months of the year. Which means that as Israel is going through the desert toward... As the people of Israel are going through the desert toward the land of Israel, toward redemption, which symbolizes Mashiach and the fixing of the world, this happens over a period of time. This is the march of time. It's literally the march of time. Because the way the tribes are arranged correlates with the months of the year. So it's actually time itself that's marching through the desert toward redemption. Does, it, does everyone get that? Okay. So I want to make another point. Which is that the they're each the way they were arranged the way they were arranged, the different tribes, in the centre was the Arunakodush, the the, the ark that held the Ten Commandments. Alright? And remember they were smashed originally, and then we got the second set, right? Moshe comes down with the second set on the day of Yom Kippur. So so the second set happens, and that's what was in the middle of the arrangement of all the tribes. Now the way the tribes were arranged exactly correlates with how the sons of Jacob were arranged around the Arun I'm sorry, were, were arranged around the, the, the coffin of our forefather Jacob, of Yaakov Avinu. So let me just say that one more time. When Yaakov Avinu left this world, the sons were arranged around his deathbed in a particular way. That exact arrangement is how we were around the Ark of the Torah in the desert, but now instead of it being one son, it was now an entire tribe. And what's so cool is that Yaakov of becomes the Torah itself, or the Torah was Yaakov. So, you know, the prophet says, Titen emes Le Yaakov, give truth to Yaakov. And we say, Torah emet, the Torah is truth. So here you see a correlation between Yaakov and Torah, the truth in Torah, the truth in Yaakov. So that's right in the center, okay? Sorry, i so sorry. If somebody comes and asks for me, I'm in the school on the upstairs, okay? So, so now, Rabbeinu B'chayim brings down something even deeper which is that the way the Jewish tribes were arranged in the desert actually corresponds to the constellations in the sky, the stars in the sky. And you know, the Jewish people are compared to stars. And one of the beautiful levels of that is that, is that what does a star do? It lights up the darkness. So that's one of the roles that we have to play in each other's lives and in terms of our destiny as a people with the whole world, to light up the darkness. That's what a star does. So literally, you see that we're earthbound stars. Right? Because the arrangement of the tribes correlates with the constellations. Okay. Now listen to this. Each of the four sides, there were four groups of three, twelve tribes. Each of the groups had a leader. The leader of the last group was the tribe of Dan. Don, spiritually speaking, was the lowest of the tribes. It was the spiritually lowest of the tribes because they found idol worship in the tribe of Don. Okay? So it it brings up the rear, so to speak. Okay? And as a side note, something very interesting is that when Hashem makes big projects, and the best example is the Mishkan, the holy tabernacle, which became you know, was to become the base of Migdash, the holy temple, which was that connecting point between heaven and earth, that ongoing reenactment of the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, that's what the Mishkan was, that's what the tabernacle was, was built by members of two tribes. The tribe of Yehudah, which led the Jewish people, which is the tribe that the Messiah comes from, okay, and also the tribe of Don, which was the lowest tribe. So God makes this partnership between the highest element spiritually of the jewish people and the lowest element fuses them together and that becomes the portal to heaven that becomes the those become the architects of the mishkan okay but here's the point listen to this the jewish people had a lost and found just on a very here and now practical level they're marching through the desert people are going to drop things so just on again on a super practical level who are going to be the people who pick up the lost objects? The people heading up the rear, right? So the tribe of Don, if they saw dropped objects, they would pick them up and they became the lost and found. And so all the other tribes would come to the lost and found and and, and the tribe of Don would, would dispense it to their owners. By the way, let me just give you a practical note. If you ever find a lost object Here's how you're supposed to return it, okay? Let's say you find it, there's a group of people meeting, and you see a a ring fell on the ground. Here's what you're not supposed to do hold up the ring and say, Did anyone lose this? Because all of a sudden, a lot of people are suddenly going to have lost that ring. (laughs) What you do is you say, This is practical halacha that I'm giving you right now. You say, Did anyone lose a ring? You don't show it to anyone. And then when this person comes and says, I lost a ring, or I lost a wallet, or I lost a watch, then you ask them to describe it. And if they describe the watch, or the ring, or the wallet that you have, then you give it back to them. That's, that's how it's supposed to be done. Okay, that's just a practical note. Anyway, listen to this. Something very, very beautiful, and we'll close with this idea. We said the tribe of Dan, which was the the rear guard of the Jewish people marching through time, right? Not just through the desert, but marching through time. The tribe of Dan represents the last generation before Mashiach comes. Because, so to speak, we're on the lowest level compared to like, you know, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, then all the way at the end, the last generation, hopefully that's us, we're like the tribe of Dan, we're the spiritually lowest. Okay? But what are we? We as a generation are the lost and found. Meaning to say what? All the other generations. In other words, the last generation is going to receive the reward of Mashiach. Is going to be there to participate in the redemption. And all the previous generations are going to come to this generation. In order to collect their reward. By, by the resurrection of the dead, They're all going to come back to us because we who represent the tribe of Don, who represent those who have been picking up the reward all along the way, we're the repositories of all the reward that's awaiting the previous generations. They're all going to come back and they're going to come back to us, to the last generation, through our march through time. Just like Dan's march through the desert. Just like they picked up the lost objects in the desert. We're picking up all the schar, all the reward that the previous generations have left behind. So, so anyway, um, let's just wrap it up by saying that uh, the, the Rebbe of Lekovich you, you may not be familiar with the name Lekovic, but, but, but a lot of people know the Nativas Shalom. Who is the Slonimer Rebbe? And Slonim comes from Lekovich. So, the Rebbe of Lekovich said the following: that he fears Shvuas, right? This this it's going to be this Tuesday night. He fears Shvuas more than Rosh Hashanah. Why? Because Rosh Hashanah, God is deciding what kind of material possessions we're going to have over the course of the year. But on Shavuos, our spiritual life for the year is determined. How close we're going to be to God is determined. How many Divrei Torah we're going to Mechadish. All of that, the fruit, it's, it's the holiday, it's the new year for the fruit from the tree. These are the Chidushim, the new insights into Torah. All of this is determined. So, so really, Hashem should bless us that we really through love and through joy and through unity should make ourselves into a real beautiful vessel to receive the light of Torah and to receive a blessing for a beautiful strong year of closeness to Hashem.